0: Been considering a series on the biblical view of politics. We began with the various theological views uh, that are held that are wrong within the church. And then we considered the relationship between the church and the state last Sunday. And this morning we will consider the Christian political involvement. How should a Christian be engaged in politics? So we'll consider how a believer should involve themselves in politics. And so I'll begin at looking at the principles And one of the things that I will really reinforce as we begin is something that we considered between the relationship between the the church and the state. And uh, where do we begin? We begin in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's no sphere that the Lord Jesus Christ does not say it is his, as Abraham Cooper says. That every Christian should live in recognition of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In every area of his life so there's no area in your life that is exempt from being under the lordship of Jesus Christ all of your life should be lived for the glory of God first Corinthians 10 31 <clears throat> says whatever whatever whether you eat or drink or whatever you do allow me to read first Corinthians 10 31 So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever your level of political engagement or involvement, it should be done to the glory of God as a manifestation of the Lordship of Christ in your life. So we understand that there are those There are different levels of our engagement in politics. There are those who will, for example, run for political office. There are those who could be Christian activists. And so the place to begin is the first point, the first principle is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ should be preeminent over all. That's the first principle. God is the one who authors the government. Kings do not become kings because of their lineage, because of their eloquence and prowess. Kings become kings because God has yielded power to them. And God has the capacity to dethrone them. He removes their governments. Let's look at Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We are given there the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4 verse 16. Bible says, Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over to the lowliest of men. God is the one who has all the power and he gives it, as he says there, to whom he will. He gives power to whom he will. And we considered that last, uh, last week when we were looking at the state and the church, that those who are in power, power has been given to them by God. Those who will be elected, governors, MCAs, MPs, next month, power will be given to them by God. God is the one who determines. And so we have the example here of Nebuchadnezzar. We are told was the most powerful person in all the world but he was a proud man and um, he boasted of his glory in his majesty and here we have the voice from heaven judging him and we know that Nebuchadnezzar grazed like a beast for seven years and he was humbled by God How how, how will it be if in the case of Nebuchadnezzar someone was coming to ask for the king and he was told the king is in the field grazing it's such a sad affair really and so if Christ is preeminent over all things our purpose is to please him and so those who are running for political offices should not be seeking to honor men or to please men they should above all seek to please christ to please god in their endeavors they should seek to glorify god and not men in spite of what the electorate might want of them they should seek to do the right thing and please god so the second principle, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29 so the first principle is Christ is preeminent over all things then let's turn to Jeremiah 29 someone can read from verse 1 to 14
1: these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take take wives and have sons and daughters. Will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into
0: exile. So, in this chapter, we are going to see a guiding principle for us on how to live in this world as exiles the way the book of James the letter from the letter of Peter addresses its audience it uses the language of exile, the language of aliens the language of foreigners to mean that we as citizens of heaven are exiles here on earth we are passing through we are in strange lands. We do not belong to this world. So there's a real sense in which believers are exiles, we are aliens, strangers in a foreign land. This world is not our home, we are passing through. And so, the second principle here, as you'll as we'll see, has to do with us being Christian pilgrims. If you can remember what was the main message in the, in the book of Jeremiah prior to the destruction of the temple. Anyone? What was Jeremiah told to to, to, to prophesy to the people prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes, it is a part of repenting and turning to God. But, uh, yes.
2: Submitting to the
0: Yes, Jeremiah was told to do what? To tell the people that they should submit to God's judgment. And so you read here that the false prophets were saying God will never allow you to be taken captives by the filthy Babylonians, and so the Babylonians will come, and they they are going to conquer the people. And Jeremiah was told by God to tell the people to submit to their judgment. And so the false prophets were lying to the people. They were like the prosperity gospel preachers that we have today, that all will be good, all will be well, that Jeremiah is a liar. And so Jeremiah is told to tell the people, you submit to the judgment of God and it will be well with you. And uh, that's a radical message, really. You can imagine if a country like Somalia was going to invade us and God was to say, we submit to the judgment of that country. And that country was going to destroy our country obviously it doesn't sit well with us and that's why you find Jeremiah was always threatened was thrown into a cistern and so there were a series of deportations that occurred before the temple was destroyed in 586 BC and Babylonians came to take the Jews into exiles and so is there a way this is relevant to us today it's relevant to us today because you read verse 4 it says Jeremiah 29 verse 4 Thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce people are told to continue on with their lives and they are told at the end in verse uh, verse 7 to seek the welfare of other people so that what might happen so that they too may find their welfare and brethren I believe this is an application also to us if indeed we are pilgrims we are exiles Passing through your, through, here, uh, passing through the world, we are to seek the welfare, the good of one another. This world is not our home. But we should not resolve to fatalism and say we are not going to do anything. Is, everything is worthless and meaningless. so this has implication for us and this is the second principle here Um, we should live to seek the welfare the good the peace in the city God has placed us and one of the defense of the early Christians although they were persecuted but they were not heartless Early Christians would not seek to overthrow the government. Early Christians were the best of citizens because they sought the welfare of one another. They They sought the welfare of the city. And so, in your own estimation, what do you think you're called to do to seek the welfare? in the society that you live in, what do you think is necessary for you to seek the welfare of the place you, in the country God has, has placed you?
1: Uh, I'm saying two things. Uh, first one is, God requires us to pray for the nation, okay. and then the next thing is to submit to the authorities. Okay. So, I think by doing those things as a Christian, Mm you are truly seeking the welfare of the the nation, uh, subjecting it to God in prayer, Mm -hmm. and also obeying it where it obeys the will of God. Mm -hmm. We'll be
3: honoring God.
0: Yes, so praying for the nation, seeking to submit to those in authority. How about the area God has placed you, the career you're called in? How best do you seek the welfare of others? What are you supposed to do? So I'll give an example. We have doctors in our midst. Do they seek the welfare of others? In the place God has kept them. If they are faithful, they are indeed seeking the good of others. If you are a teacher, if you are faithful, you are seeking the welfare of others. If you are a police, so wherever God has placed us, we are parents, some, our children, for example. So, wherever sphere of life, You're placed in to seek their welfare and the good of others. And then the third principle, principle of political involvement, is we have biblical examples of godly influence in the government. So we have examples in scripture of godly people having influence in the government, and for the most part, it is a wicked government. So you could throw in a number of examples that come to mind. Godly people who had godly influence in the government. Jeremiah was a prophet so you read most of the prophet prophets in the Old Testament, and uh, for most most of them don't have success in their ministries. Um, so I'm talking about people who some were appointed in position of government, so that they had yes Joseph, for example Daniel, Daniel.
4: <coughs> Nehemiah.
0: Nehemiah yes. We have the example of Mordecai, for example, and Esther. And so, did Joseph volunteer to work in the Egyptian government? The answer is no. It was God in his providence who brought him to such a position. Obviously, it was a long road. He rose to the position of second to Pharaoh. And so the question is, how does Joseph end up taking care of the welfare of those around him and not those of the world? How does he have a godly influence on the government? Anyone? So first of all, is gifted by God to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He never complains in spite of the injustices in his life. And so because of the dream, Is able to preserve the whole world from famine. He's able to preserve the line of Messiah and that is a godly influence. We have the example of Daniel. Daniel is an example of civil disobedience. A man who was well esteemed by the Babylonians. How does he gain a position of influence? an exile living in Babylonian government, the government of Nebuchadnezzar. He has his loyalty to his people and he tells Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sins and so he's a man who sought the good of others. We have the example of Nehemiah, a high official and the emperor is an accessor. And he has a good relationship with the emperor that he rises to the position of a cup bearer. So the cup bearer is, is like a top security guy in the government. And so there's one time that he's sad, and the king inquires why is disheartened and he tells him of, of his people, the Jews. And Emma is commissioned to go to Jerusalem. He's funded, he's given a letter of recommendation and he ends up building Jerusalem. And so we know of the story of Mordecai. Because of Mordecai and Esther, the Jewish people are spared. Mordecai is elevated to one of the highest positions in the Persian Empire and so we should not underestimate godly influence even in the highest halls of government authority and this should remind us really I should be praying for godly people to, 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 to be raised by God to be around our president our deputy president to be around those people in high authority. It should not be the experts. And, and the scientists. And people who are godless and secular in, us, in society. <coughs> we should have people around, for example, our president. We should be willing to tell him the truth. We should not fear telling him the gospel. And so over and over again we see in the, in the scripture an example of godly people influencing those in authority and that really should motivate us to pray should motivate us to seek political involvement and so when i say to seek political involvement i'm not saying that we are seeking politics because we we love politics we're not seeking politics for ourselves we are seeking politics under the lordship of Jesus Christ because you want to use your political position to serve Christ and so as Christians we should be clear about the issues of the day there should be priority on issues in our lives and those happening around us. Any question or anything you'd like to say before we move on? So if we are Christians, we are law abiding, we honor those in authority, we seek to have a positive influence on the society, then we should be the best citizens a country should ever have. We should seek to influence by exercising our right to vote. You see, there's a danger of us withdrawing and not seeking to vote the Bible does not warrant us to withdraw from society. We should be concerned about the issues raised by the candidates. Our ideal goal is to vote for ideas, for policies, and for persons that are closely aligned with biblical principles. And so, we should seek to vote for people that their principles align with biblical doctrine. You should vote for an informed person. You should pray about it. You should also vote in a way that is consistent with your conscience. You should not always vote because you're voting against someone. You should vote with wisdom. Your voting should not be reactionary. So Christians should seek to be diligent, to maintain the bond of unity and peace. And so if you find out that your fellow Christian is voting for another candidate, you really have no right to question their Christian conviction. Yes they may be ignorant, they may be, you may need to persuade them as, otherwise, but really if someone is voting because of their conscience, you cannot question their conviction. Because we operate under the principle of Christian liberty, and so we don't condemn others for their choice of conscience and so as in the political season there's a lot of um, language and demeaning language peddled around that should not mark us as christians each of us should stand before our master and lord jesus christ because each of us will be responsible for the stewardship of the vote that we have and so if for example a leader who is not of your choice comes to power and they could be a wicked leader Christians should not be troubled because God is sovereign. God is in control. He may accomplish his good through wicked leaders. So for example you look at the example of Nebuchadnezzar. What God did. God did to humble him. God is still on the throne and so whoever wins the elections it will not abdicate the throne of God it will not thwart his reign it will not threaten anything about his reign whoever wins the election is not going to usher in the golden age God is still sovereign and so we should not stop laboring for the welfare of our city of our people because God is sovereign we have generations to come you have kids, you have siblings and relatives. And you want to, you want Christ to impact their lives. So that they may impact the world. And then the fourth thing. Something Simon alluded to, is prayer. So the fourth thing, the fourth principle of uh, Christian involvement in politics his prayer so the Bible teaches us to pray for kings, for governors and so how many of us pray for elected officials Yes, many of us are disappointed with the direction of our nation but how often do we pray for our leaders? Because we're supposed to be praying for them. 1 Timothy 2, we should be praying for our leaders so that, we might have, so that we might live peacefully and with tranquility. And so as Christians, we should have peace and hope regardless of who is elected. Why? Because you are in prayer and you're submitting under the authority of God and His, his sovereignty. And so, the person you did not vote for can, be, can still be a blessing for this country. The person you voted for can be a source of judgment from God. But as Christians, we should have hope and peace. Why? Because God is in control. He will accomplish His will. And nothing else matters let turn to Romans chapter 13. Someone can read from verse 1 to, to 7. Romans 13 verse 1 to 7.
2: Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath for the world. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also to, but also for the sake of the. Of conscience, for because for because of this you also pay taxes. For authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed.
0: So Paul is writing to the Romans and the king is Caesar and he recognizes that the origin of government is from God and so Christians should obey to their government as long as the government does not command us to disobey God and so allegiance is first of all to God and so we are commanded here there is no authority except from God. And that authority trickles down even to the school board. Every authority comes from God. Your authority as a parent, your authority in whatever place God has placed you, every authority comes from God. And then he says, verse 2 Therefore, whoever resists authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror of to good conduct, but to bad. Will you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. And so it says in verse six that sorry in verse five that he being subjection to the authority. The authorities is not to avoid the wrath of god but also for the sake of your conscience you really need to have a clear conscience as a citizen of your your country and uh, as we saw last time the authorities are called the ministers of god They they are given the power of the sword to heal the sword, to punish evildoers and so we ought to pray for our leaders, pray for their conversion pray that the Lord will stop them from making wicked legislation pray that the Lord will use them for positive gospel influence so we as Christians are not excluded from the responsibility to engage. That means all of us will engage politically <coughs> to some extent. Some may run for political offices, others will be on their knees praying, praying for the leaders. The problem we have as a country is that we are plagued with tribalism. And the sad thing about tribalism is we have replaced the standard of God and we placed our own standard in which we will choose our leaders. We see from scripture that the standard is to appoint godly men. But the reality on the ground is we choose leaders based on their tribe their background and the concern in scripture brethren is not economic it is not political our political priority should be moral issues it should not be about the person it should not be about what the person will do it should be about moral issues because a person could be, could have good policies, but the person is very moral. The person may be very corrupt, for example. And so our issues should be moral as, as Christians. We should put above everything else moral priority. And so if we find a candidate that does not, does not rank well with us and if there is no candidate from them whom we can choose, then we should judge according to God's priority on moral issues. Obviously, we will never find a candidate who will agree with us 100%. Even amongst us, we don't agree with one another 100%. But we need to, to juggle, we need to make the best judgement. We need to seek to please the Lord, to trust him, to bring the good in every situation. Because we know that God is able to bring good out of evil leaders. And So one of the issues that we really need to consider very strongly, even in our leaders, is for example the sanctity of human life. Do they acknowledge the sacredness of human life? Do they value human life? They acknowledge that God is the creator of life. He has made man in the image and likeness of God, and every man has inherent worth. What other thing? You th- what other things do you think are important to see in a leader? What moral issues will you consider before you vote? Anyone? So it's not so much the person will build your roads, the person will decrease your taxes. Those are good things because we want good policies. But the main thing is is about morality. Moral issues that people hold to. Yes?
4: When you say moral issues, you uh, mean the moral aspects of the policies or he himself as a
0: person? He himself as a person. So for example, someone can have good policies, but we know that the person is a bit skewed, is corrupt, so you're not even sure, will they implement those policies? Yeah. What moral issues do you consider before voting for a candidate? not been following politics (laughs) someone said man is a political animal so all of us have in a sense a political theory (laughs) what issues do you consider because they should not only be economic yes we desire to have Less taxes that we are paying and such things, but what moral issue do you look at? You guys are not ready to vote.
1: at the person himself and considering whether he's morally upright. Mm. So, I'm thinking to know which standards to, to measure that person. Mm. And for us, the standard is the scriptures. Mm. But if that
3: person is more than yet, mm. uh, it's kind of hard to, do, to really know which standards to use to, to know whether that person is morally right I probably explain a little bit morality so,
0: so maybe you could think of examples in scripture of not necessarily moral upright leaders but even godly people who are influence in position of power what, what kind of things can you say for example of Daniel when you think of Daniel as was a leader. Yes. I
1: would want to elect uh, a leader who has high integrity. Uh, not corrupt. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Honesty. Integrity. People mean what they say. They say what they mean. Yes. someone who seeks to protect the sanctity of marriage, for example, and um, recognizes that marriage is between one man and one woman, is able to protect the lives of the unborn, the lives of the, the, the innocent, the vulnerable. Anything else?
2: I'm thinking of a leader who uh, is really in good conscience, especially uh, seeking to obey God, Mm -hmm. or more for the good of others than for themselves. Mm -hmm.
0: So a leader who seeks to obey God, specifically in what way?
2: If possible, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. <laughs> yes, thank you. Mm.
0: Impartial, yes. If you value the sanctity of life, you will treat everyone with, with fairness, with equity, with justice. Uh, So a leader who who is not tribal, who is not, who is not partial.
4: Mm because yes. I'm thinking about because I'm I follow political and what are you doing, but what you're saying is idealistic. It's, okay. it's not I have not seen it unless um it's just a prayer to the same But I think that is so realistic. It's it's not practical. Like for example, we have people who are Mm. uh, I
0: agree with you. I I don't think Kenya is a good example of godly leaders, Uh, but the thing is, we, we are supposed to see things from scripture. We should have these convictions of what is required in a leader so that when we go to vote we are able to weigh about our beliefs, about our convictions before making a decision.
3: I think <clears throat> when when we say that what you are talking about is idealistic are you saying that there is another standard definition that votes?
4: The Kenyan constitution has so if you are choosing a ordinary leader, therefore I think the, the standard is what you are talking about. But for the Kenyan leaders, the institution has its requirements. Like for example, if someone has not been ousted from a government post, the EU dishonest. So I
3: want to be able to do so should we use the Constitution to talk about this?
4: Well, I'm not saying we should not talk about this. I'm saying it's idealistic in the sense that in Kenya, I don't think it's what is happening. And if, if someone listen to me, so you know that you're not bad It's very not what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. if you're talking about moral, moral study, therefore, such kind of thing is qualified everyone who is buying the presidential seat in this coming election not to be voted. Yes,
3: yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are saying. So, we will not Now, we are not saying that we will not vote. We are saying that the standard is high. We are not going to lower the standard because people do not meet the requirement. Right? right? <laughs> we, we are not going to use a different standard because we think that this standard is too high for us we have to set the bar where it should be and then the people that are desiring to be leaders in our nation are to be held with that that bar then that be we have to say if this is the candidate that you're considering this is where they reach as compared to where the bar is and then Pasi is saying that because of the nature of you know the sinfulness of man, of course we're not going to get a leader that is completely perfect. Then what we do is we use the standard to consider who who, who would be the best leader for that. Because as you see, it is too idealistic, and I agree with you, it is. But then <clears throat> it being idealistic is a good thing. It's not about it. because it is idealistic that's the standard that we should use you see when god tells us we are to be holy as he is holy isn't that too idealistic it is it is too idealistic but what we do is we strive to attain that that, that. now the leaders that are being considered for for you know presidency uh, 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 the gubernatorial office and all, all the offices should be held to the standard that God requires of them they're not going to attain to that standard uh, but we can we can look at all of them and say when I look at them, and that's why PAS is asking us very personal questions when I look at them, I think these candidates is fit to do the job even though they do not
0: they did not quite reach that perfect ideal standard. Thank you. I hope that's clear. Anything else? Or any question? Allow me to close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. You've been good and kind to us. Thank you for a peaceful nation you've given us I thank you for the leaders we see from scripture that all authority comes from you and we pray that the authority which has been instituted in this country we desire to have godly men godly leaders who will rule in righteousness we pray that you may help your people as we continue to discuss on these matters that uh, he will help us to make wise judgments concerning the moral qualifications of a leader. Do forgive us Lord for our sins and cleanse us of every unrighteousness. We pray that you may help us to see things from a biblical standpoint uh, that uh, These things will be true also in our lives. We give you praise and we honor you, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.